Welcome to episode 189 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. A month ago was when I attended my last in-person social gathering. I mean, not my last ever, but likely my last for a while longer. At the time, we knew coronavirus was wreaking havoc in other parts of the world and starting to show up in the U.S. We carefully bumped elbows to greet each other, avoiding hugs and handshakes. There was so much we didn't know about this virus. We didn't know people could be asymptomatic and still spread it. We didn't know it could linger in the air or on surfaces for hours or even days. We didn't know it was going to be the last social gathering in person for this group of friends. What we did know was that it was important to celebrate big milestones with friends. That's what drew us together that night. Two milestone birthdays. A month later, gathering in person is no longer advisable as we all do our part to flatten the curve. But milestones are still happening. Birthdays, anniversaries, and soon lots of graduations. Not all milestones are joyous. There are funerals, hospital stays, and divorce. One thing all of these have in common is desire to gather with our community, to feel supported, to have this milestone witnessed by those who care about us. This pandemic doesn't take that need away. If anything, it's stronger than ever as we individually and collectively face this challenge. It means we need new ways to mark milestones and stay connected in between them. It's a new normal. It's not permanent, but I think it's going to be a while before we regularly gather in person together again. But we can and must stay safe and stay connected. Your challenge for this week Offer to help a friend facing a milestone organize a virtual community gathering. Gather quotes and photos from friends and create a slideshow, a great gift that will be cherished. Don't wait for milestones to reach out. Schedule a Zoom call or Facebook video chat group call for you and five close friends. Do this every two weeks until in-person gatherings are possible and then keep it up monthly. Now more than ever, we need conveners, hosts, Look for opportunities to bring close friends, colleagues, and even acquaintances together virtually. Your efforts will be appreciated. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest is dedicated to training people to let go of obstacles and live and work with courage, commitment, and confidence. Over the last 25 years, she has built her business one relationship and one speech at a time motivating and inspiring audiences to get out of their comfort zone and get a front row seat in life. She believes that everyone will have more success at work and in life by following four simple strategies that she calls front row success. She is a CSP, Certified Speaking Professional, which is the highest earned designation in the speaking profession. Only 12% of speakers worldwide hold this designation. She was also inducted into the CPAE Speaker Hall of Fame. She's the author of four motivational books. Some have even described them as life-changing, including her latest on goal-setting called, Is There a Hole in Your Bucket List? Please join me in welcoming Marilyn Sherman. Thanks, Robbie. It's so good to be here with you. I know. And then the crowd goes wild. (laughs) Marilyn, thank you so much for joining from your office in Las Vegas. It's fitting that you have that kind of intro when you live there because it's like, 
it's a very rousing intro. I'm psyched to have this conversation. You and I have gotten to know each other over the last few years. Um, this is a show, as you know, about building strong networks in the context of the conversation is leadership. Because as you would probably agree, no one achieves success in a vacuum. So let's just start there. How do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, I define leadership by um, really by traits. You know, I, I look at leaders that are inspiring and who are deemed successful leaders, and they all have some things in common. They all have a vision and they are able to articulate that vision. They all have um, engagement, which means they don't always have to be the smartest person in the room, that they engage with their people. And they also have um, passion for what they're doing and making a difference in the world. So my definition is not really a, you know, define this is what leadership is, um, but really someone who is doing the right thing, even when no one is watching, because um, I call them front row leaders. When they walk in their power and walk in their authenticity, they can't help but illuminate the path for others. Other people are watching. It, all the time, people are watching and they're being inspired or they're being turned away. And so I think effective leadership is, you know, people that are authentically good, regardless of if they think people are watching or not. Yeah, I like that because a lot of times the hard choices that leaders have to make are made when no one is watching. Right. And, and it's, I'll give you a very specific story. I was keynoting a conference and it was a, it was a really big conference with a famous person that was opening and I was closing and I happened to be on the same flight as this person cross country. And uh, so we were at the airport together and I just saw her inspire this amazing crowd with her amazing, unique, powerful story. And everybody, you know, ran to her book signing so they could buy her book. And she was so inspiring. I was a tad bit intimidated by her and her success and her celebrity. And then when we got to the gate, the gate agent reminded her that only two items were allowed. And she had like three big items that she tried to carry on. And she was boarding before her boarding number was called. And the gate agent was very polite and said, you're going to have to consolidate your bags and wait for your number to be called. And she just went off on this man. And she was so rude. And she was, I mean, she literally, uh, when we finally boarded, she said something over her shoulder about his anatomy. And in an instant, I thought, I will never refer this woman as a speaker. I will never refer this woman as a leader. I will never refer this woman or sing her praises because I saw the truth of her behavior when she got off stage. And unfortunately, there are leaders behind closed doors who are not the most um, compassionate, engaged, authentic, positive people. Yeah. Well, it's actually a very powerful example because on stage, she's this rock star that everyone wants to to imitate. Uh, and yet, if they knew that if that they was, only knew. Like, you know, and that this little tiny thing is what threw that off, you know, like, clearly, there's a lot of other stress and, and factors going on there. I'm yeah. curious when you started to realize for yourself, that you had leadership potential, like when was what were some of those early signs? Well, it's very interesting. I went to a school called Mercer Island High School, which is in a high rent district in Seattle, Washington. And we had some suicides at the time. And Seattle was the highest rate of suicide in the country. And so there was a health education company that piloted a peer counseling program at our school to help people 
handle depression, suicidal thoughts, alcoholism, drug abuse. And it was a, it was where they um, trained these people. They did a, a survey and they asked the students, who do you go to when you are in a crisis? And then they took the people who scored the highest from all the different groups, the athletes, the, you know, the, the non-athletic, the people that are in, um, uh, theater, you know, they took different cross sections of groups and they took those people away for a weekend and taught them all of these really good skills, listening skills, assessing a crisis skills, you know, who to go to when you can't help that person. And then they had us blend back into the high school. And I took to that like a duck to water and I loved it. And, um, not only did I have students coming to me, uh, when they were in crisis, but then their parents started to come to me and say, my child is suicidal and I don't know how to help them. And because of my ability to use these skills at a young age, um, the company then hired me to facilitate other high schools. And then they hired me to speak at their health education national conference to talk on the a student's perspective about the program. And I think I ended with, um, and because of this, I was able to help two people um, navigate not killing themselves. And for me, that's worth the price of admission. And then all of a sudden I started getting speaking engagements and I was, I hadn't even graduated from high school yet. So amazing was, story. Yeah. yeah I mean, the beginning. that was the beginning. No one else I've talked to who has a speaking career <laughs> had that opportunity um, start from there. But I actually, I'm guessing that it goes even earlier than that, because if people were coming to you, if you were identified as someone for that program, mm -hmm. there must be something even before all of that. I mean, were you the kind of kid who organized other people? Were you standing out and telling people what to do? Or were you just like, no, I was one of these people. My dad was um, an, an executive, so he taught me how important it is to know where you're going, uh, what's your vision, where do you see yourself next week, next month, next year, and uh, what's your goal in life. And, and he never, ever um, downplayed my dreams or ambitions. So I went through phases like we all do. So at one point in my life, I wanted to be a professional barrel racer. And that was, that's like uh, riding quarter horses really, really fast. And then um, I graduated to, I wanted to be a professional volleyball player because I was a standout athlete. And I was always the most inspirational athlete on the team starting in junior high school. So I was always learning how to be the, the, you know, my dad would say, well, just so you know, professional athletes uh, don't smoke pot and um, professional athletes um, don't hang out with boys. Professional athletes work hard and get scholarships to good colleges. You know what I mean? So I learned it from my dad at a very young age. Yeah. Sounds like he saw that in you. And also it makes me as a parent of two little ones, even more aware of the impact that I have on their life because these messages, uh, you know, obviously they come through loud and clear because you yeah. can repeat them all these years later and you've lived them as oh, well remember, for a lifetime. I remember the conversations. I mean, I, yeah. remember, I remember him having a family meeting with our family. We had seven kids, uh, seven living children. My dad, my mom and dad had eight kids, but they lost one. So we'd have these family meetings. And I remember my dad announcing 
to our family, okay, everybody, just so you know, we're going to take two weeks this summer and we're going to take a vacation together as a family. We're going to rent a motorhome and we're going to drive from Seattle to South Dakota. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> And I remember raising my hand. I mean, this is how formal our family meetings were. And I said, Dad, if we go away for two weeks this summer, who is going to take care of my horse? And he very gently reminded me, Marilyn, you don't have a horse. <laughs> so obviously, I had learned the value of positively projecting the outcome of what you desire in your life. And uh, he was right. I didn't have a horse, but I really, really wanted one. And a couple years later, I did get my first horse and spent 10 glorious years riding horses. Oh, my gosh. I, this uh, living into an idea at a very young age. Um, very powerful. And it se seems like it served you well that you got that you weren't shying away from this responsibility. Um, I've I've uh, been trained to teach QPR, which is question, persuade, refer which is a suicide prevention uh, training. Um, so, you know, how do you actually hold, hold space for those tough conversations? That's the question. Persuading is persuading them to get help. Refer is that you go with them. Nice. Right? You see them through that process. Um, so, I, I, and I know the difficulty of being in those spaces. That's hard at a young age. I mean, I didn't get into that until I was much later in life. So, for you to see what was happening with your peers and to think I could be a resource. I mean, that's a different kind of leadership than running for office. That's, that's being recognized, right? right? That's not, that's not being nominated. That's being recognized. Right. And it's being recognized um, organically. Like I, I didn't, you know, put out a sign and wear a ribbon that said, come to me. I'm a natural helper. You know, it was very, very natural. Yeah. It sounds like you're also similar uh, on a team when you were doing team sports, yes, you played a similar role. Yes. And now that, so that was a, a part of my upbringing too, because, um, because I had a coach literally in seventh grade who had us all shut our eyes and deep breathe and sort of meditate. And then she said, okay, now visualize the perfect serve of, um, a, a volleyball. And so I learned this, that when you shut your eyes and you visualize something, the muscles in your body that would be used to actually carry it out physically are engaged. So your brain, I learned your brain does not know the difference between a clearly visualized activity than reality. So that carried me through, where do I see myself? That's part of my strategy on front row success. It's where do you see yourself? What's your vision? What's the ideal seat for you? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What, what's an ideal uh, relationship? What's an ideal front row seat for you? A front row job for you? A front row relationship for you? You got to see it first. You got to see it first. So I learned that in Miss Hunsberger's uh, volleyball team in seventh grade. <laughs> it's really cool that you had the people around you um, more than one person sort of sharing these sort of messages, giving you an opportunity to live them, try them out for yourself in these, in these different scenarios. Um, you know, and as you said, you had a lot of different ideas of where you might end up in life. Probably where you did end up is not one you would have envisioned because it wasn't one you probably even knew was a thing. Even when you started uh, speaking, at what point did you know that speaking was a thing that people got paid to do? Well, when I was in high school. So that, so when I went, when I went to that convention and I spoke, I did, I was on stage in front of all these adults around the state of Washington. I, 
I got the bug and, and I went home and I told my sister, I said, wow, this is really, really exciting. I mean, I'm in front of the stage. I'm telling stories. I'm giving him testimonial. I, I want to do this. And she said, you know, that's a, that's a job of a consultant. And I'm like, I don't know what a consultant means, but I want to do that. And so I started to look up um, speakers and go and see them speak. So I started attending um, seminars and success rallies and bought Zig Ziglar tapes and Dennis Waitley tapes and Wayne Dyer tapes uh, while I was a senior in high school. So by the time I went to college, I started putting on my own little motivational seminars in my dorm. I'm just sitting here shaking my head because that is just a stunning start to this career. I know. You know? Yeah. It's, very, it's, it's unique. Most people yeah. you know, climb a mountain or they have a leg <laughs> severed and they, you know, and then they, you know, start a billion dollar company. I've done none of those things. Well, that's actually kind of interesting in a way for me, Marilyn, because uh, you're doing a thing that's kind of hard in the sense that it is not this, you don't have a story to tell. Right. You don't have a tangible skill that you're going to like, here's how you create a sales funnel, you know, right. um, or that kind of like hard metric. You're really in that motivation space and have stayed there and you've, you've created your own sort of narrative around that. How far into, I mean, it sounds like that's where you started. Is that, did you stay there? Did you know that was going to be a career path? Well, my, my dad, my mentor, my, my, you know, hero, he, he would say, so wh what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a motivational speaker. I want to do what Zig Ziglar does. And he said, well, you need to get a job first so that you could have credibility to speak in front of audiences. And, um, I graduated from Washington State University and I was still living at home after graduation and he gave me 30 days to get a job or else I was kicked out of the house. So on day 28, I finally got my first post-college job and it was at the Seattle Crisis Center answering suicide prevention hotline calls because that was my skill set. I was really good at that. They didn't even have to do training. I mean, they hired me right away. But after three months, um, the vision kicked in like, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. And my dad said, uh, you need to get a job in the corporate space so that you can have the credibility in front of the corporate audiences. So I got a job at Finance America, which was a finance company in Bellevue, Washington, and they hired me as a collector. So I went from answering, you know, crisis calls to making crisis calls and, uh, and they saw leadership in me right away. And they said, we're going to put you into an 18 month leadership training program uh, that our company runs. And after 18 months, uh, you'll have your own branch to manage. So, um, they moved me to Las Vegas, right here where I live now. And, um, I was supposed to live here 18 months, but then my boss was tragically killed in a car accident. So they moved me from Las Vegas to San Jose to complete the program under a different branch manager. But in those three months, I fell in love with Vegas and I said, one day I'm going to be back living there. So once I finished the program, there was a, like a week long training with all the other trainees who were graduating. But I looked at the instructor and I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I, I want what you do. I would rather be the trainer than go out and manage a finance field, you know, a, a branch in, in the field. So I made sure that um, 
I put myself in a position to be in that training job. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that at one point for a few years, you were on the road like weeks at a time leading trainings. Right. So I moved from, um, they, they had me do some marketing for this company. And then I moved to Allentown, Pennsylvania, because that's where the home office of Finance America was. We were bought by Chrysler. Lee Iacocca's mother lived in Allentown. So he bought this company and put it under the Chrysler name. So I worked for Chrysler First Financial Services and I, I put on those training programs, but I also wrote the programs and collaborated with the rest of the team. And um, we would do uh, week-long trainings or three-day trainings, depending on the level of the people in the company we were training. And then the company sent me to a career track one day, six hour seminar. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do now. And so I went to that speaker and I said, how do I get your job? And he turned me on to a book written by Paul Karasik called How to Make It Big in the Seminar Business. And one of the chapters was um, a list of all the public seminar companies who hire speakers to just do trainings on their behalf. So my five-year goal of living in Allentown for the company before I went out on my own as a motivational speaker, side note, in the interview for that job to move from San Jose, California to Allentown, Pennsylvania, director of HR said, are you sure you want to move to Allentown? And I said, absolutely. I see this job as a stepping stone job to my ultimate goal of becoming a motivational speaker. So my goal is to put in five years here. And after five years, I'm going to go out on my own and be a motivational speaker. And he's like, well, most people don't tell us their exit strategy in the job interview, but you're perfect for this job. And uh, not only did he hire me and not only did I leave after five years, but he years later, he would always tell, he told me that he always told people my story about knowing what you wanted and how powerful it is to know what you want to make sure the job is the right fit for you. Right. And these days, five years would be a long time for people to commit (laughs) a job. Um, How long ago was it that you, quote, went out on your own? Um, So I left Chrysler in 1993 to start um, becoming a road warrior for skill path seminars. And for from 93 to 98, I was doing up to 12 seminar dates a month. Uh, So sometimes it was five cities a week. And um, I did that for five years. And um, so I left I left that position in 1998. So I've been speaking full-time professionally, getting paid to speak uh, since 1993. Wow. Yeah. It must be interesting because you and I know each other through the National Speakers Association. And you've been part of that association a long time. You graciously connect with all the new folks <laughs> that come in. You're one of the people who make space in your, in your, in your orbit for that. And it must be so interesting to watch all of us stumble. <laughs> uh, I've been there for five years, you know, and I've learned so much in five years. But it must be so interesting because you're still learning too. Things have changed. Technology's changed. Like topics have changed. You know, underlying all this, people haven't. But it, it is must be like, that's, you know, you hear us all. You hear us doing what you said, you know, those first, like, I'm going to be a motivational speaker. And you're like, oh, isn't that sweet? <laughs> I, I, I know when people come into NSA, um, they may be new to NSA, but they're not new to speaking. And, and uh, so I just honor them wherever they're at. And um, I, I still get excited about general sessions at NSA. And I always want to sit in the front row and just learn from the best of the best. And you can learn from everybody 
anybody, even a bad presentation, you can learn what not to do, you know? So, and, but I'll tell you a funny story. Um, I got involved very early in, in getting into NSA with service because the more I volunteered, the more I got to rub elbows with really cool people who were more uh, established, more credible, more influential than me. So that's how I learn and grow is by having access to amazing people. So one year I was the person backstage lining up all the hall of fame members in the order of the year they were inducted into the hall of fame. So I'm like this new kid on the block, you know, just like, Oh, look at all these amazing superstars. And I'm like, Nope. Um, Nito, you're actually behind this person. Uh, Lisa, you're over here. I mean, it was so fun to be this person. And they're all like, okay, where, where do I stand? Where do I go? And so that that's a full circle moment because, you know, now I'm in that same group. Yeah. And now you see the person lining you all up. Yes. And I imagine knowing who you are, that in that moment you had your name written on that list. Oh, I filled it out. You know, <laughs> see, I knew it. Back in the day, they had the program with like um, lines, the five lines, because they it, they induct up to five people a year, and then the cabinet award winner, and the, all the lines are blank. And as you listen to the the presentations, and they announce the winner, you fill it in, so you could, you know, I put my name on that list, of course. <laughs> of course, you did, because you learned early on visualization. Yeah. Yes. becomes reality. Yeah. So I'm curious what was challenging in all of this? Because it sounds like so much just kind of came together for you, was revealed to you at the right time. Mm-hmm. What was the challenge as you were making all these decisions about where you were headed next? Well, you can, you can visualize all you want, um, but that's not going to pay your mortgage. So um, what the challenging part was leaving a, an amazing corporate job to work um, on a month to month contract with a seminar company and, um, having, um, I had an exit strategy in terms of when I wanted to leave, but I did not have an exit strategy on how to maintain the income as I was leaving, um, a pretty steady, even though it was month to month, it was pretty steady income. Um, when I left, I left, like I turned, uh, I, I, I turned, like I had a big birthday and I wrote my first book and I quit my job. So I had a big party that night um, because I had a speaking engagement that paid for a month's worth of seminars. And I thought I've, I've arrived. I can, I can do this. And, um, and then I, I learned I needed to have my pipeline filled more with opportunities to get paid on my own prior to leaving the seminar company. Now, if I would have planned it better, I would have, instead of staying five years, I probably would have, you know, done the first year completely immersed in their material. And then second year start to develop my own and third year sort of wane out of that job and then go on my own. But instead I just relied on them for five years and then said, okay, now I'm on my own. So that one engagement that paid for a month's worth of seminars, that was fantastic. And then I didn't get another paid speaking engagement for six months. So I went through my savings, went through my emergency fund, and then I cashed in. I I don't think I cashed in my 401k, um, or maybe I did. 
until I was able to get that next speaking engagement. And then, so I've been, I've been chasing that next speaking engagement every year since then. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm told that the, uh, the length of time between, uh, you know, the lead time and getting booked has gotten so much shorter now. So it used to be, you'd have your calendar full because you could look ahead and now you could be in October looking ahead to the next year and it, it's looking pretty sparse. Oh yeah. Every, every October, I think. every October. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I think my, my favorite quote from that is actually Scott Stratton saying, Oh, do I have to get a job? I think I have to get a job. It's October. I have to get a job. <laughs> Yes. This isn't going to work. And it's like, no, he makes a million dollars a year speaking. It's, he's fine. And it always does. But every person has to go through that experience. So that's still, that's the ongoing challenge. But like you said, to have that faith in yourself in those six months, like you just knew, you just knew it would work out. Now, I want to just sort of say though, that it's not just that you knew, and it's not just that you went out on your own, because I think that in all reality, you were not on your own because you were so good at bringing people to you. You were always attracting, it sounds like, always attracting people into your world, into your corner, like, you know, and you were in their corner too. I mean, this isn't like you were just taking, you were a giver. So as you were developing all those relationships and learning, I mean, you're the type who, like, I want your job. How do I get your job? Like most people see someone on stage and think, gosh, I really want to do that. But they don't stick around to actually ask the question, you know, and if they get advice, they don't act on it. So there's, there's the willingness to ask, there's a willingness to act on the information. So how were relationships impacting your career as you're making all these critical decisions? Well, it's huge because I've always been taught the value of mentorship. So I had a career counselor at Washington State and she was amazing. Her name was Naomi and she would take me to lunch like once a month and um, just sort of you know, lift me up and answer any questions I had. And, um, and then one day she said, you know, I've taken you out to lunch quite a bit. And sometimes you've asked me, but I always pay. And I was so embarrassed. So I learned a valuable lesson that when you reach out to someone, take care of them. And um, so I make sure I'm not one of those people that is constantly taking, taking, and taking and not giving back or honoring someone for their time. Or, you know, if you want to pick someone's brain and take them out for coffee, by God, pick up the coffee. You know, Um, I learned that lesson when an attendee, uh, she bought all my books and I had some audio CDs at the time. And her husband wrote me a note and said, Oh my gosh, my wife is totally in love with you. And now that I've listened to all your materials, I'm in love with you too. We're coming through Vegas. We'd love to take you and your husband out for dinner. And I'm thinking, Oh, well, (laughs) of course. And, um, I said, and I don't know the guy and I don't know his wife. And, uh, I said, well, we would love to have dinner. Here are three options for you. So we went low, medium and high. Cause I didn't know what his budget was and I didn't want to presume. So he picked the high and my husband was like, yeah, I'll go. That's where we got engaged. Let's go to Bartolotas at the Wynn hotel. And we had this amazing dinner. And at the end of the dinner, the check came and he looked at my husband. He said, okay, you want to split this? And I was pissed because now you're in a real awkward situation. And of course, my husband said, oh, yes. And on the way home, he's like, never again. (laughs) Lesson learned. Lesson learned. 
learned. So when people come to Vegas, uh, that you know, they always want, hey, come on, you know, come to the strip. I'm like, you know what? Here's my address. It's a quick Uber ride from the strip. Come visit us on the roof, and because we have a ro- rooftop deck, you know, that has a 360 degree view of Vegas. Because I, because people do want to pick my brain. But if I said yes to everybody, it would be a full time job. And you happen to live in a hub where everyone comes through. So you could spend all of your downtime entertaining out-of-town people who are just kind of there for a conference or there for a talk or something. But here's the thing about mentorship. You never want to go to someone and say, will you be my mentor? Because that's really an awkward conversation. What you do is you see people who have what you want, whether the level of influence or the relationships or the knowledge or whatever it is. You seek them out for what they have and then you connect with them and you graciously ask, I have a situation. Would you have um, a moment to carve out some time for me to run it by you because I would love your advice. That's how my relationships of mentorship have evolved. And you know right away if someone is open or not. And then you make sure you follow up with them. I know Sheryl Sandberg wrote in her book, um, Lean In, the first book, she had said, yeah, someone complained that they didn't like their mentorship relationship. And she said, well, what was your expectation? And the person said, well, I expected to meet once a week, go through all my issues, get some feedback, and then do it all over again the next week. And Cheryl said, that's not mentorship, that's therapy. So um, I learned to be respectful of people's Uh, boundaries, but also don't be afraid to ask, but be honorable. Like that woman who was running the, for Chrysler, when she was running those leadership programs, I said, oh my gosh, I love what you did with us. I love this job. In the event you get promoted out of it, how can I take your job? So I, you have to remember in case you, uh, you know, in the event you're promoted, because you don't want to ever come across of I'm, I'm coming after you because that doesn't work either. Yeah, it doesn't work either. I think so many people are under-mentored. I mean, I think that's sort of like a general general statement that most people do not have the mentorship that they need um, or want. Even people who are great mentors themselves often don't then have that to other from other people. Um, I went through a period of time where I was, I had a lot of accountability partners, <laughs> but not enough people who were a little ahead of me or so Dory Clark's been a, a friend and mentor of mine and most recently a business coach of mine. Um, so I always can talk to her, but she's like way ahead career-wise with, from where I am. So I've learned the value of also having people in your life who are a few years ahead, like as far as developmental, like what stages of business they're in, because it's relatable and they can remember what it's like to be where you are. It's you know, like me asking you about you know, what it was like those first five years on your own it's a distant memory. It's not like where you are right now. So it's hard for you to give me the exact same practical wisdom because life is different now. Oh, it's a different world. It's a different world. So it's just really interesting. Like part of it is like sometimes mentorship isn't necessarily people who are like 30 years your senior, you know, like who figured it all out. Um, But you're you're fortunate to have stumbled into the knowledge that that was important and had the skill set to create that relationship. Like you said- but be open to those people who, who are because they give you a beacon of hope. Like, oh my gosh, my life really could be like that. Like, I remember one time somebody was just, and they weren't bragging. They were just sharing that they had just gotten off stage and they sold $35,000 in product. And this was back in the 90s. And I thought, 
oh my gosh, I just pawned my wedding ring from my debacle of a starter marriage for $35. And I thought, wow, that that's dissonance. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. But there, but I had access to that person that I could learn from. And, uh, and now anytime I need that person, they are there for me. That's brilliant. It doesn't matter. You know, the other thing that I really liked that you talked about a moment ago was how you stepped up and volunteered in various ways mm-hmm. in the National Speakers Association uh, because it did give you access mm-hmm. and it was a way to give back as well. And again, that's, that's, I feel like that's an area that most people aren't seeing the possibilities and not taking the time yeah. you know, like to put the energy in because they're, they're so busy focusing on their, their – maybe they're building their own practice, but they're like, don't realize that is – right there for you for the taking like I stepped into the role of organizing the rainbow speakers group Mm. a few years ago and it's yeah of course I have reason to talk to so many different people I mean yeah you did the ice cream social you like stepped up and did the ice cream social and people showed up and and you're like I don't know any of these people but I'm doing it because I want to create this safe space right and now the third year is coming up and we're now co-sponsoring co-hosting with two other groups Oh, and nice. like we're doing a collaborative inclusion reception, which oh. is really cool. Yeah. For people who don't know if they belong and for people who want others to feel like they belong. So it's right. going to really just be like a space for right. those kinds of folks. Right. Um, I'm but really, also, in, yeah. I also, I don't mean to interrupt, but I do want to tell you, I did learn my lesson because when I started in 94, 95 in San Diego, um, they had me apply for a board position, which is often what they do with brand new people. They put them on the board and, um, I applied. And one of the questions was, um, why do you want to serve on the board of the San Diego chapter of the national speakers association? And I wrote, because I want to rub elbows with people who are more successful than me so that I can grow my business. And Janet Lapp, God bless her. She was our president at the time. And she's an amazing hall of fame speaker. She, sort of gave me some mentorship and said, Marilyn, um, that is not the reason why you serve at NSA. It is not to build your business. It is not to take advantage of people who are better than you. I'm like, oh, she goes, so let me just give you back the application, have you rewrite it and resubmit it. So then I don't remember what I said, but it was much uh, less self-serving. And that, that I believe has served me. When you go in, I mean, it always blows me away when I see people online saying, I haven't gotten a single piece of business from my membership of NSA. It's like, please, that is not why you join NSA. You join NSA for the camaraderie and for the relationships and for the support and the the referrals for business is actually a bonus and icing on the cake. But that's Mm -hmm. not why you do what you do. Yeah. I'm curious, um, you know, you've gotten to know so many different kinds of people throughout your career. And you've so many different circles of people, uh, you know, kind of in your life and you're orbiting you. You have the close-knit people that you stay in touch with. How do you nurture and sustain connections to sort of the, the second and third layers out, the people that maybe only see once a year at a conference or you haven't talked to or worked with in five or 10 years, but you really enjoyed working with them at the time? Mm-hmm. You know, what are some habits or philosophies or practices around sustaining that broader network? Um, you do have to water your plants in order for them to grow. So I do stay in touch with people, um, whether it's, you know, literally handwritten cards that kind of are, um, archaic, but I 
do like cards and sending a text once in a while, um, checking in. It's just, it's, you know, but I always want to make sure I'm being supportive and additive and not repetitive and self-serving. And when you are, um, when you do that, then people are willing to be honest with you when you need to get your head out of the sand. And so that's what's been real valuable to me. For example, um, we, I saw you in Toronto and I roomed with uh, two of my best friends in the industry, Colette Carlson and Lori Guest. And there was a conversation that we had at night. You know, I love those at night conversations when you're at events. And they, re, they like made an observation and said, wow, you invest a lot of money in training and coaching. Um, are you getting ROI from it? And it stopped me dead in my tracks. So much so that I went back to Vegas and I did, I, I stopped investing. I made a commitment to stop investing and to apply what I learned. And I sequestered myself at the Palms Hotel here in Las Vegas. And I put up, um, flip charts around the wall. I brought my big fat pens and I got a cooler of really healthy foods and a case of water and turned off the TV. And I just went through, okay, who have I invested in with coaching and who, what courses have I taken? And I literally just started going through my notes and just writing down things that, um, that were to do's that I didn't do. And I, I, I came to, terms with the fact that I was sort of addicted to learning and showing up, but not um, completing the loop and actually doing something to measure the ROI. And as a result of that, I actually changed my brand because what came of it was um, a deeper dive into who I am, what do I do, and what do I offer, and who do I offer it to. And so my front row leadership platform turned into a more global front row success change your seat, change your life. And what happened after that, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Um, at the end of my keynotes, I talk about the importance of having compassion for others who are feeling alone. And, um, and I tell an amazing story and, and it gets people like, Oh, and then, so the last slide is I cross out the word your life. And so it says, change your seat, change someone else's life. And that's really who I am. And, and that never would have happened had I not um, taken the advice of my very close friends who loved me enough to hold up a mirror for me to see that I was uh, spinning my wheels and I didn't have to anymore. This is the benefit of having good people that you trust, who you know have your best interest. Uh, this is about also like peer masterminds you know, yes. have the same kind of space where people hold you. And the, the, the two things that I, I hear though, one is you then went and did the work mm -hmm. to, you heard what they said and you acted on it. Yeah. I really think that's a key here. And the other is, I see that this is sort of full circle to how you started your career. Your last slide. Mm. Right. And like how you started again in like a space where you're helping others through yeah. like the tumultuous, like teenage, yeah. Drama years mm -hmm. and the depression and anxiety that can come along with that and recognizing that people can feel very isolated and alone, even when they're there in a crowd, mm. sometimes more so. Yeah. And you're saying like changing your seat can help another, you know, 
change another person's life. Right. And it feels very uh, bookend. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Yeah, to like how how you are and how you've always been. I mean, I don't think it's. I think that you sort of peeled back some layers and discovered yeah. again the, the the who you are message is still very much uh, centered on that. Um, I, I know that you're, you 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 have this great little acronym. I want I not to sneak this in because I just think it's very cool, <laughs> and um, and I want people to like learn enough about what you do to like go check it out. So um, so you know we talked about front row seats. Yes. And uh, SEAT is the operative word here. So what is yeah. what is SEAT stand for? The SEAT stands for, the S is uh, for C, see where you want to be. Where do you see yourself a week from today, a year from today, five years from today? Where do you see it? So you always start with that visualization. The E stands for energy. We have a limited amount of energy, so don't waste your energy on worrying about things that are completely out of your control, like jealousy and envy and the weather and, you know what I mean, (laughs) comparison to others and shame and guilt. These things, that will take away so much of your energy. It will prevent you from living your best life. Um, The A in seat stands for attitude and how important your attitude of gratitude is and your attitude of being positive and attitude knowing that things are going to work out and an attitude of good people. Um, Kindness always wins. Love always wins. That kind of an attitude as opposed to a negative, sarcastic, oh, woe is me kind of an attitude. And the T the T is one of my favorite words I got from my dad, and that is tenacity, um, because the road to success is never smooth. It's never direct. We're going to hit speed bumps. We're going to have obstacles, but you need to have the tenacity to overcome whatever is thrown your way. And tenacity is that grit to go out and recognize that you are strong, you are powerful, you are making a difference, you are a good person to celebrate that. And don't let anybody burst your bubble of enthusiasm and don't let anybody get in your way because when they're throwing dirt at you, they're just losing ground, as Zig Ziglar used to say. (laughs) So that's my seat. You know, uh, front row success, um, you choose where your seat is in life. And I hope that you choose to uh, sit in the front row. I love it. And um I'm glad that you shared that. And I, I, I want to give you an opportunity to, and now here's my favorite sort of wrap up question. If we're reconnecting a year from now, and I'm thrilled that we will be staying in touch, but if we're connecting a year from now and we are, um, you know, celebrating all of your successes from the previous year, what are we going to be celebrating? Wow. Um, well, this is completely, um, crazy, but I believe in big, big, big audacious goals. So, um, we will celebrate the fact that my office is really, really clean. I have no piles in my office. It's so organized. I love it. I can pick up my laptop and work from anywhere in the world, which is good because I just finished writing a screenplay based on a true story. And I'm so excited because it's going to be made into a major motion picture. Wow. I know. I know. And it's one of those, um, it's one of those stories that when you hear it, you're going to be like, Oh my gosh, that is such a perfect arc of someone who said, no, you can't do it because you're a woman, but you know what? Why not? Just give me a chance. No, no, no. But why not? Just give me a chance. Okay. You got one year. And in that one year she went on to be a huge success. And then people said, you're a one hit wonder. It'll never, you know, you were lucky and she proved them all wrong. She proved all the saboteurs wrong, and then she uh, succeeded at the highest level again the second year in a row. And so it's one of these really good, feel-good, overcoming obstacles, you know, 
can't touch me now because, you know, I'm, I'm getting, you know, no negativity. I'm on my way and just watch me make it happen. And so my big dream is to write a screenplay. So a year from today, our conversation will be, oh my gosh, Robbie, I did it. I wrote the screenplay. I didn't know how to write one, but I wrote one. And now I've got, I've got connections. We're, we're turning it into a major motion picture. That's amazing. I cannot wait to celebrate all of that with you. I really can't. Um, Marathon, I will be right there in the front row as you live this amazing life. Uh, how can people find you and follow your success and connect with your work? Um, well, I'm on Instagram at Front Row Maryland. I'm on Twitter at Front Row Girl. And I'm on Facebook at Front Row Girl. And um, my website is Marilyn Sherman. And that's spelled just like Marilyn Monroe. And Sherman, just like the tank. And uh, MarilynSherman.com. So yeah, I would love to connect with people. I'm, I um, I love to hear from people, and I love to connect with people. And it's amazing how how what you how you live your life can be so inspiring that you don't realize the touch that you have with other people. Like you have no idea, Robbie, how many people you're touching with this podcast and with your work, and about being a croissant instead of a bagel. I mean, you you will have no idea how many people you're touching with your positive message of hope and inclusion. Well, thank you very much. And we will have all the links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Thank you, Marilyn. It's been such a My pleasure. pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Marilyn. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 189. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as nearly 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. Were you planning an event that is going virtual? Since networking is a top driver for why people attend events, have you thought about how to make that possible virtually? I've been working with companies to creatively use technology to create more engagement among participants. Let's make sure events are about content and connection, even if they're online. Hit reply and we'll schedule a chat to see how I can help. If you enjoyed this episode with Marilyn, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who has achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.